Hello and welcome to Renewing Hope Church in Oceanside, California, where our mission is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. We pray that this episode will both challenge and encourage you to love more. And now, here's today's episode. Today we are going to talk about something that has always fascinated me, and it's the the feasts of the Lord, which when you read sometimes the Bible, I know for me, it can seem boring at times, like all these facts, you know, like what does all this stuff mean? And, And God doesn't do anything without purpose. So if you guys have ever been into any cool stories, like I nerd out on stuff. And, and so like, let's say like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, there's all this like layers of information and background. And you're like, oh my gosh, that means this. And that guy's from this world. And that's the symbol of their world. And, and so when you get into the deeper facts of a story, it can be so cool because you, you get to learn all this extra stuff. And so the casual observer, you know, will maybe watch a movie and say, oh, yeah, you know, that, that was a great movie. And then someone who nerds out on stuff will notice things that no one else did. They'll be like, man, did you see that symbol that was hiding on that tree and what that means? And, you know, it just makes it way more exciting. So today I'm going to try and get us to nerd out a little bit on, on the Bible and God and see, like, his big picture. Because when we get into the details, like, it's really, really cool. We miss a lot of the Bible because most of us aren't Jewish and God called Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and gave them very specific things to do. And it was part of their culture. And so their how they would dress and how they would eat and all these different things. It all has meaning. And then when when what's called Gentile, which just is a word for non-Jewish, when the Gentile church was born and God poured out his spirit on everybody, God didn't make the Gentile church keep all the same rules because Paul made it clear that all the rules point to Jesus. And so as the non-Jewish church, um, we just have to do a couple things it says in Acts to stay away from sexual immorality, to not drink blood and not eat things sacrificed to idols, like real basic stuff. And obviously the moral things of, you know, don't kill anybody or steal and all that stuff. But as far as like the ceremonial stuff, like we don't have to keep all that stuff. It doesn't... um, you know, we're allowed to eat pork, for instance. And, uh, but for Jews, they have to perform all these things forever. God says these go to all generations. Um, so one thing is, is always fascinated me is when we look at like any, we're just so used to stuff as a society and like today is Sunday, right? And it's like, well, where did the names come from even our weekdays, right? And it's really interesting if you get into, they're all like gods that they worshiped in the ancient world. So we have all the stars that are fixed, like the North Star and different stuff, but all the moving stars, which we now know to be the planets in our solar system, they would move. So before people had TV and Instagram, they would check out the sky and get to know the sky. And when they would see certain stars moving, they thought they had power, and so they would worship them. And so Every day of the week is named after a, a moving planet in our solar system. The sun, you know, the, it's easier in Spanish, sometimes the Latin, to, to see that. But the calendar is also very, very interesting because the calendar, like today, is June the 12th. Well, wh- where does June come from? And you learn that our calendar comes from Rome, and they have gods that they worshipped. And then two of the months actually are named after uh, leaders of Rome, Caesars or Kaisers, as they say. Um, And then you've got numbers towards the end, like September, October, actually named after like like numbers. 
which is really interesting. And our calendar is a solar calendar, so we keep track of our rotation around the sun. Uh, the specific name of the calendar that we use is called the Gregorian calendar. Uh, it was in it was put in place at the request of a pope named Gregory, and so that's why it's called the Gregorian calendar, and it's from 1582. Uh, before that, they used something called the Julian calendar. Now, uh, we know that, that a calendar, it takes 356, I'm sorry, 365, 365 days and a quarter day to go around the sun, and that's why every four years we get a leap day uh, in February. But there's also calendars that follow a lunar calendar, which is based on the moon. And so even the word month has the same root meaning as moon. That's why a month is based on the, the changes in the moon, from a new moon to having nothing on the round circle to it slowly filling out and becoming a full moon and then going back. And it's really interesting because um, even when you, if you get into like planting and crops, the, the gravitational pull on the moon in different cycles is actually like the new moon's best for like planting and it, the gravitational pull pulls the nutrients out of the soil. It's so incredible all the different things that God put into nature. So the Jewish calendar is based on the lunar calendar. And, and so when we're going to get into the Jewish calendar and look at God's appointed times is, is what we're talking about today. And we're talking about the seven feasts of Israel. And I have to give you all this background and it's a lot of information, um, but it's, it's helpful to understand what we're talking about. So um, the Jewish calendar and like the Islamic calendar, they're based on the moon. So, they, so this is what's really cool. Like in, in, a, in a Jewish calendar, the beginning of every month is the new moon. So there's there's no moon visible, and then in the middle of the, of the month, it's a full moon, and it, it rotates. They add a leap month every three years to get it back on track with, this, with the solar calendar. Uh, the Chinese also do that. They have a lunar calendar, and they add, a, they add a month to get it lined back up. But the Islamic calendar is just lunar, and they never reset for the, the um, solar and that's why the Islamic calendar, you'll notice that the dates will slowly move in our calendar throughout the year. And, and it'll be a different time depending on um, how, you know, it's, it's like 11 days off, I think, from our calendar. If, if someone who was from India and who's Hindu, right, was to come to America and see all the traditions that we have of Easter and Thanksgiving and Christmas and all this stuff, they wouldn't understand it. They're like, what does all this stuff mean? And who's this Santa Claus guy, right? And, so all the things, like when you think of Thanksgiving, you can instantly think of like the meal and how your family, you know, whatever they like to cook, whether it's cranberries or a certain special uh, type of the way you pre prepped your turkey and all these things. So God put in tradition and the way that we also do it is like your senses, so your smell and your sight. And so when you have these holidays, it brings all this memory and its significance. But if someone doesn't know that stuff, it's like, I don't get what all this stuff is, right? So when we as like non-Jewish people look at a Jewish system of how they do stuff, there's all this hidden stuff in what they do that we totally miss as non-Jews. And uh, just this last Passover, I had a Seder dinner. It was so interesting to like have the bitter herbs and all these different things and understand what these like there's these four glasses of wine that were different parts and which one was the one that Jesus said, this is 
the blood of my covenant, right? It was, a specific, it was the third one in the ceremony, and there's just all this background to why. Um, but in the Jewish calendar, so it has 12 months, and, and I'll just put, that's what's up on the screen is, is the, the different months, and their months are lunar. So God established that their calendar starts with Nisan, which is in March, April, and then it goes all the way to Adar. And then that's Adar is what they'll add us a, a, a second Adar, Adar 2, every three years to get the calendar to line back up. So I put next to the months that Nisan's in March, April, which is when we have Passover. And then you've got Sivan, uh, which is usually um, in May to June. And that's when we have Pentecost. And then you have Tishri, which is in September, October. It moves in our calendar. And that's when you have Rosh Hashanah. Now, the Jewish calendar um, has a civil beginning. It's the same months. It's kind of confusing. But they have the Jewish New Year is in Tishri, right? So that is their civil calendar. That means that they consider that the first month of their civil calendar. But God, when he established the calendar, he said, and we're going to read about this in a second, that Nisan is the first month. And there's a reason why it's prophetic, right? Um, so God established these things, and, and I'll hold up the, the menorah here, um, what he calls the Moedim or the appointed times. So God has his own calendar. And this calendar system that he appointed is not from Moses didn't come up with this, and it wasn't you know Joshua. It was like God said, no, this is my dates, and pay attention. I want you to do this stuff on these days. So in this calendar, and you'll always notice that a standard menorah is going to have seven seven candles. Um, the Hanukkah one has two extra because of the miracle that happened, but a standard menorah looks like this. And so each one of these represents a different holy day or festival in God's calendar. And what we're going to study is the first four today, which happen in the spring. So there's four that happen in the spring, and then there's three in the fall. So uh, we will look at Genesis 1:14, and it says, and God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times, Moedim, and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. So this is the part of the story where God makes the sun and the moon. And he makes a moon for the night and he makes a sun for the day. And he says, these have significance of appointed time. So God set up all this stuff. Um, and then when God gave all these, um, the feast days to Israel, it, it's covered in Leviticus 23. So we're just going to read through this whole thing, and then we're going to go through them individually. So Leviticus 23, verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord. You shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Notice God speaking. These are my appointed times, the Moedim. Six, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So before he gets into the seven feasts, he's saying every week has a Sabbath day, which is Saturday. So technically, the Jews do it from sundown to sundown. So Friday night, when it goes uh, sundown, is the beginning of the Sabbath. As non-Jews, we don't have to observe the Sabbath, but you're more than welcome to. Um, as Paul says, like one day is important to one person to another, but I do highly recommend at least having one day off to rest. 
Um, and if you want to do it on the Sabbath or you want to do it on the Sunday, which the early church did, it's up to you. That's kind of the fun part of being in the new Gentile church is the Holy Spirit can lead you and guide you to these little details. Um, and you're not going to become more holy if, if you do it on the Sabbath day. But for Jews, they are commanded forever to do it on the Sabbath. And then um, as Christians, we can partake in that as well. So verse 4, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, so in that month of Nisan, which is in um, March and April, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, uh, right when it, the sun sets, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you, sh you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall do... Uh, not do any ordinary work. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, so that you may be accepted. On that day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it, and on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be to the Lord a pleasing aroma. And, the, and uh, with it shall be of wine a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever, notice, to the Jews, throughout your generations and all your dwellings. Then, verse 15, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephath. Where you say that? Uh, they shall be a fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. So there's all the technical stuff, and as we read that kind of stuff, it can kind of like all these dates, and do, it doesn't have a lot of meaning to us. But So I, I want to try and get past the like boring details to kind of show you how exciting all this stuff is. So the first of the, the seven feasts is, the first one is Passover. So Passover happens on the 14th of Nisan, and historically, we know the story of Moses in Egypt, that they had to paint blood on the doors from a lamb, and then, and then if they didn't, then God would take the firstborn. At that night, so it happened at twilight on the 14th, and then obviously they do it, and then they have to leave Egypt. So the first Passover, you got to imagine, like they all wake up, and there's all their neighbors have lost their firstborn if they didn't obey God. So then they're leaving Egypt, and as they're get, because they had to get all their stuff ready, and anyone, I'm about to move soon, it's like anyone who, who moves, it, you don't just leave instantly. It takes time to get all your stuff. So they had the next day to get all their stuff. And by the time they're leaving Egypt as a nation, it's turning into the 15th of Nisan, which is the, the day of unleavened bread. And so the day of unleavened bread, which signif signifies like no sin, is the day that all the Egyptians were burying their firstborn that died. So it's really interesting. So they're burying their firstborn on the, on the feast of unleavened bread, and they're leaving Egypt. 
Then they go through the Red Sea, and they don't start the first, uh, the first Sunday after Passover is the Feast of First Fruits, and they wouldn't start that until they got into the Promised Land. So when God tells them, you're going to bring your, wave your offering of grain, which is either barley or wheat, um, that didn't start until they got into the Promised Land because they all lived on this magical bread falling from heaven, right? So they didn't have crops yet. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second, but we're all so removed from growing food. We just go to a store and it's just magically on an aisle. Like we don't think about the process of like planting it and watering it and, and these harvest seasons that would come, which is obviously even in America before the industrial revolution, everyone was farmers. Everyone grew their own food. And, and, and so when we use these farming terms in the Bible, we're all pretty removed from it. So it's almost like you have to remind yourself how this stuff works. Like you have to look up things like winnowing and threshing. Like what is that stuff, right? Which we'll get to in a second. Um, so then they leave Egypt and they go through the Red Sea and then they go through. And so when you, the spot where they cross, you can actually see on a map, uh, Solomon built these two pillars and, it's, and where they cross the Red Sea is, is not on the left side of the, the west side of the Sinai Peninsula. They, they went down into the Sinai Peninsula and crossed into Saudi Arabia. So Mount Sinai is not in the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, Mount Sinai is what's called Mount Jabal al-Laws, and it's in Saudi Arabia. And if you just Google, like, the real Mount Sinai, you can see it. It's, it's incredible. It has... Altars at the bottom with Egyptian like symbols on it, which because they just came out of Egypt. Um, the top of the mountain is burned from the outside, and there's no volcanoes around. So, and when you read the story, it says that God came down on the mountain in fire. So that's where they went. Uh, they went through the Sinai Peninsula and they went into Saudi Arabia. And then they waited. So Moses um, says, all right, it's time. And it's been seven weeks now. And they go through all these different things. And they need water. And they're traveling. And it's three million people going through the desert. And then it's leading up to what's, what we call the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, which just means 50. So seven weeks after the Sabbath is, um, is Pentecost. This is... Such an incredible story, and, and when we read this, it almost sounds not real, where God basically says, I'm going to show up, and I'm going to show you who I am, and you're going to hear my voice. So on Mount Sinai, they set up these rocks around the base of the mountain and said, you're not allowed to cross that rock, or you'll be killed, stoned or shot with an arrow. And what's crazy is, in, if you look up the real Mount Sinai, they have, like, you can see, like, carvings in the rocks of like a guy with a bone and arrow. It's almost like a warning sign, like don't cross this spot or, or death because God's holiness, you're not allowed to go up this mountain. And so they get to this mountain and they're waiting for God to show up and it's the Feast of Weeks. It's seven weeks after Passover and God shows up. And it's probably one of the most intimidating things. So it says that he blew this trumpet which I'll bring next week because we're going to talk about the Feast of Trumpets. So when you think of a trumpet in the Bible, it's, a, it's a, like a ram's horn. It's not like a metal trumpet. They had those too. But you carve out like a ram's horn and you blow it and it has this like, it's, it makes this really interesting, unique sound, which drives my dog nuts. So I'm not allowed to do it when he's home. Um, 
But this sound is this, the, this incredible part of Jewish culture. The first shofar that was blown was not blown by Moses. It was blown by God. And so as this cloud of fire comes down on this Mount Sinai, God starts to blow his trumpet and it's getting louder and louder and louder and louder. And everyone sees this thundering and there's earthquakes and they're getting scared. And then God speaks to the people, to three million people, and they hear his voice. And that's when he gave the Ten Commandments. It was so scary. Afterwards, the people of Israel are like, Moses, you talk to God and tell us what he says. We don't want to talk to God or hear his voice because we're all scared we're going to die. Like God's presence and power and his holiness was that scary. <laughs> that you'd think like, man, I wish I could hear God's voice. And then when people actually hear God's voice in its power, they're like, I don't want to hear God's voice. It's too scary and powerful and holy. Like Moses, you talk to him. So those, all those feast days are in the spring, right? So there are all these, these specific days that God had appointed for his holy days, which is where we get the term holidays. Um, are these feast days more significant than just the original feast day, right? And you think like every year they would do these things. And so just like we celebrate Christmas and Thanksgiving every year, we do this whole tradition and, and we get a certain food. And if it's Thanksgiving, it's a turkey, right? Well, think about this. As the Jewish people, every year they had to sacrifice a lamb. And Jewish tradition actually says because they weren't allowed to boil the lamb, that they would actually put the lamb upright on these pomegranate, pomegranate wood, and they would hang it through the shoulders. So it almost looked like, a, like Jesus hanging on a cross, right? Like, so they're, they're cooking a lamb that's on a cross-looking pomegranate thing, and they're doing that on the 14th of Nisan every single year. And then they're getting rid of all the leaven on the 15th of Nisan, which is the next day. And then once they come into the promised land, they're bringing a sheaf, which is like a bundled up bunch of grain of barley, and they're waving it before the Lord as like, food gives life, right? We all eat to live. You can last a little while without eating food, but eventually you'll die, right? So we all are going to eat food after this, and that's what sustains us. So it celebrates God giving them life. When they went to Israel, God took them out of Egypt, where they could go to the Nile and plant uh, their food, and they went to a desert land where they depended on rain. Think about the trust. Like, if God doesn't send rain, we all die, and, and we don't have food to eat. So there was these two seasons of water and rain that would come through that would give them their crops, and it was a spring harvest and a fall harvest, and God put that into their feast days. So at the beginning of the barley harvest, they have all this wheat and barley that would, would grow in the, in the ground, and they would wrap it up, and they would bring it to the priest, and they would say, thank you, God, for feeding us and giving us life. And they did that every single year, year after year after year. And it's like, okay, what does this symbolize? Well, then Jesus shows up, and he's born in Bethlehem, where they raise the lambs for the temple sacrifice for Passover. So what's really interesting is that the the shepherds, most likely, that God appeared to for Jesus being born were these shepherds that they were the priests at this tower that, that overlooked all the, the lambs that they had. And they had special lambs just for the temple sacrifice. And when that lamb was born, they would wrap him in these 
cloths that they used for the priestly garments and they would put him in a manger so that no one would step on the lamb because it had to be spotless and pure and unblemished. So they took really good care of this lamb and wrapped him up and put him in a manger to make sure he stayed pure, right? That it was the, 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 the spotless lamb for the sacrifice. So imagine their surprise when the angel tells them, go find Jesus, and he's wrapped up in those same cloths in a manger, and that the symbolism is like, whoa, that looks exactly like the lamb that we've been preparing for the Passover. So then fast forward 33 years, Jesus shows up, he does all of his miracles, and he tells all the disciples, I gotta die. They don't get it because they think he's gonna rule the world and fix all the problems. And then what day does he die on? He dies on the 14th of Nisan, the appointed time. So once again, when we're looking at this feast day, Jesus is killed on the 14th of Nisan at the exact moment that the priest was killing the lamb in the temple. Then they take his body off the cross and the 15th of Nisan, which is sundown, it's the same exact day that the Egyptians were burying their firstborn, right? And so it seems mean to us when we think of like God killing this firstborn of the Egyptians if they wouldn't obey him. But God's putting, there's nothing he does that doesn't have symbolism and meaning. It all has purpose because God gave up his own firstborn for sin. And so that's on the 15th of Nisan. And then on the 16th of Nisan, which is the day after the Passover, they have the Feast of Firstfruits which they would bring their barley before the priest and wave it as like a thank you, God, for life. What's crazy about that is because they're not allowed to do work on the Passover, which was, which was um, Feast of Unleavened Bread. On the 14th of Nisan, as Jesus is being wrapped, right? His body is being wrapped and he's being prepared um, for the tomb. They would have been wrapping the first fruit sheaves for, for the temple to bring it before the priest. So you see all the symbolism of the little things that God had these Jewish people doing as just routine. They all pointed to Jesus. So then Jesus raises from the dead the Sunday morning, which is why we're all Christians, right? Sunday morning shows up, says, I'm God. I died for your sins, but I'm here to give you hope. And he proves to everyone that he was who he said he was by raising from the dead on the exact day of the feast. So there should be a connection here. And I know it's a lot of information, but we're starting to see, okay, those first three were fulfilled in the spring and they all pointed to the lamb. So the spring feasts all point to the lamb. Then you've got the center feast, which is the center candle. And that is the feast of weeks in the middle. So that is the same exact day that God came down on the mountain in fire and gave them the law. So then fast forward to Jesus, right? Jesus raises from the dead. He walks the earth for 40 days, which is so interesting that after he rose from the dead, he he was around for 40 days. And I imagine he must have spent some time with his brothers because they didn't even believe in him while he was doing all of his miracles. And then after he rose from the dead, James ends up leading the church and being one of the main guys. So I would imagine that Jesus would have spent some time with his brothers. And obviously he's with Peter and John and all these different guys. And then after 40 days, he says, wait for the promise, and God's going to send his Holy Spirit. So after 40 days, after he rose from the dead, Jesus goes up to heaven, and they wait for 10 more days to reach Pentecost, which means 50. So on the feast day, as they're praying, 
God comes down in fire. He came down in fire and filled them all with these tongues where they spoke in different languages. Now, Jewish tradition says, and we can't verify this because it's not in the Bible, but um, Jewish tradition says that when God spoke at Mount Sinai the first time, when they were scared and they heard his voice, that there was fire going out from his voice and landing on people, and people heard his, his voice in different languages. So it's almost like he was setting up this, this tradition of God's voice coming through people, right, on Pentecost, on the feast day. And that is the birthday of the church, which we celebrated last week. So Pentecost is, a, is the birthday of Judaism because that's when God gave them the Ten Commandments. And that's when Jews considered to be the, the beginning of Judaism, is at Mount Sinai when God came down in fire on Pentecost. And that's the birthday of the church. So now we celebrate every year on Pentecost the same feast day. So that's the background. So with, with that background, what that leads us towards is if God fulfilled the spring feast on the exact day of the feast day and what it, what it pointed towards, there's three left, right? So when we look at the candle, Passover fulfilled Jesus' first coming, unleavened bread fulfilled Jesus' first coming, um, first fruits fulfilled at Jesus' raising from the dead, Pentecost, the birthday of both Judaism and the church. There are three feast days left. And nobody in the church talks about these. And when God showed me this, I had to come across a Messianic Jew to learn about all this stuff. And I was like, oh my, it's like the most, like, I couldn't believe it. Oh my gosh, how have I missed this my entire Christian walk? There are three feast days left and no one talks about them. And they all point to the lion, which is what we're going to talk about next week. And we're going to show that even though Jesus said certain things that makes us think that you can't figure out when he's returning. He's actually using language to point to those specific feast days. And we're going to look at that next week, which is really, really exciting. So that might bore you all the stuff that I've said. It might intrigue you. I'm just like laying this stuff out because if you get into the details of this stuff and start to do the research, and what I love about the modern technology is there's so many guys that have done all this research, and you got to be careful because some I've come across some Messianic Jews who try and say you have to follow this stuff to be more holy, and Paul makes it very clear in the New Testament that we don't become more holy by following all this stuff. Like, Jesus is what makes us holy. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't pay attention to it and learn from it because there's all these little details in even their tradition. So if you go to a Seder dinner... And these four cups of wine that they serve, the fourth cup talks about the kingdom of God coming. And he didn't drink from that cup. And he says, I won't drink from this cup again until I come in power and glory in the kingdom of heaven. Right. So even in his symbolism of the stuff that they do uh, in Jewish homes, um, there's all this symbolism. And the Jewish homes will send the children to the door to look for Elijah on Passover um, and as we're going to see next week, that's actually the day that Elijah is going to show up, is on Passover. A lot of information, a lot of history. Like I said, it might intrigue you, it might bore you. But what I want to encourage you as a church 
is to pay attention to the details because God is in the details. Like, he made every one of you individually so specific and awesome that, like, he says your hairs are numbered, right? So every little detail about you matters to him. And in the Bible, when we read some of this stuff, which is, seems to be boring, there's these incredible details in there that if we'll just dig a little bit deeper and, and get past the surface, we'll find all kinds of amazing gems, right? There's so many incredible things in the Bible that as you study it, you cannot exhaust the Bible. I don't care how long you've been reading the Bible, and I've been reading it cover to cover nonstop since I was 14, and I'm always amazed. I never noticed that before. And that talks about this, and that's connected to that, and I just start nerding out again of how cool God is. It's like, this is so cool. Look what he did here, and how he, all these incredible things. Like one example with the lamb is when they would prepare the lamb. Jewish tradition also says that they would take the entrails and wrap it around its head. It's like the crown of thorns. So there's all this hidden stuff in there that just is so, so cool. So I'm going to pray for us. Um, and then next week, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about the fall feasts. Because as we're going to learn, it's the days that we should be looking for for Christ's return. Um, which puts you into like, I thought no one can know when Jesus is going to return. Well, and I can't prove this until it happens, right? So it, just like these, the spring feast pointed to his first coming, until he actually fulfills it on those days, we won't know. So I'm obviously leaning that way, um, but I can't definitively tell you that it's going to for sure happen, you know, 100% on this day. But as a pastor and what I feel the Holy Spirit as instructed me in this direction, I feel I'm supposed to tell you and to at least have you be paying attention. Because as we see in the New Testament, only those who aren't paying attention will be caught like a thief in the night. But to us who are saved, we will not be caught off guard because God has given all these very specific instructions so we'll know when to expect him, which is really, really exciting. Um, Holy God, I just want to thank you um, for giving us your incredible word, God. I just thank you for all, all the intricate things that you've put in the Bible, these little details that seem insignificant and maybe boring at times, God. But I think we'll be checking this stuff out for eternity of just seeing all the cool stuff you did during these appointed times. On these specific days, God, you chose these days for your glory, Every one of these days matters to you. And you fulfilled these special days with such great importance. The fact that Jesus died for the sins of the world and saved us from our sin on your appointed day. That he died and he rose again from the dead on your appointed day. Those are the most significant moments in human history. And they happen on the exact day that you prescribe for it to happen. So God, let us not get legalistic and, and try and become more righteous or holy by paying attention to this stuff. But just give us a curiosity, God, to scratch below the surface and try and learn what is the meaning behind all this? What, what are you trying to tell us, God, in the details? And as we are headed towards your return, God, help us to know what to look for. Give us wisdom and insight so then when the world is falling apart, we're getting excited because we're like, God, you're coming back soon to fix everything. And the end result of you coming to this earth, Jesus, 
is peace and justice for everyone. All the evil will be abolished. Only goodness will prevail. And every problem that we have with our governments and with these evil neighbors and all these things that are causing all these problems, God, you're going to get rid of all of it and fix it all. And we cannot wait, God. So give us love, Father. Give us hope. And give us direction, God. Help us focus our attention to the things you want us to focus on. There's so many distractions every day of things calling out for our attention, whether it's our phone or maybe even the news, God, or whatever's trying to to take our attention away. Help us to pay attention to this stuff. Help us to pay attention to your calendar. God, let us not be deceived. Let us not be blinded by what you're doing behind the scenes. So we thank you for tonight, God, and bless the rest of our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to Renewing Hope Church. May God's love for you renew your hope today, and may his face shine upon you and give you peace. If you need prayer or would like to reach out to us, you can do so at our website, renewinghope.church. Until next time, 